Once again, we have the privilege and the honor of sitting, sitting under the authority of God's Word. Last week, I uh, hope you remember, or last time we were in Mark, uh, not last week, but a couple weeks ago, I believe it was, we looked at uh, Christ and the uh, trial of sorts, I guess, if you will, before the Sanhedrin. And um, there, the religious leaders set Christ before them, sought to judge him, sought to bring accusation against him. They, of course, struggled to find uh, witnesses that would agree in this trial that, that they wanted to at least have the appearance of some fairness, of some uh, decorum and being properly carried out according to the Old Testament law. And uh, finally, in frustration, um, Mark tells us that the high priest directly asked Jesus concerning who he was. And Jesus, of course, boldly proclaims that he is indeed the Messiah. And not only that, but that he is coming in power and glory and exercising judgment upon his enemies. And that Old Testament picture of the Son of Man, we talked about how that should have brought images to their mind of judgment, because that is very much what Jesus was saying to them. And the one that was to be judged, Jesus, confidently declared the coming judgment upon his accusers. And this evening, the, the, the text turns our attention to Peter, as if kind of it pans the camera over to what's going on with Peter at this time during Jesus' trial. And it tells us of events that are occurring really alongside, simultaneously, with what we talked about last time. We learned what Peter is doing while Jesus is facing his accusers. This uh, rather long chapter has several references to Peter, so I want um, in our reading to go back and pick up some of those, those passages in which Peter uh, boldly and somewhat arrogantly uh, claims his faithfulness and promised faithfulness to Jesus despite what else is coming and what else the other disciples might do. So um, I want to look at this passage under three headings. Um, and, and each of these words, of course, apply to something about Peter. He was a disciple. He denied the Lord. But then he came to a place of contrition and repentance. And that's where we want to land because that's where the Scripture takes us. And it's a, it's a blessed thought to think of that. So disciple, denial, and contrition. So um, let's pick up in verse 26 of chapter 14. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we need you. We are blessed to have your word. It is your very word. You have spoken and you are speaking in and through your word even tonight. So Lord, we don't want to take it lightly. We, we take it as though it's from your, you because it is. And Lord, we, we thank you that you are here in this place and that you are speaking in and through your word. Give us grace to receive it, Lord, and help us to see Christ in it. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, this was, of course, right after the, the uh, Last Supper, they had just celebrated. Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. 
But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Moving forward to verse 53. Jesus before the council, and they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And then moving down to verse 66 through the end of the chapter. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. I wonder, have you ever made a commitment or a promise to accomplish something, only to find the outworking of that commitment to be very costly, to be very much, to require much more of you than what you thought. This past week, I came back from a backpacking expedition with my two youngest sons, and um, several months ago in the planning stages of this, uh, the, the other adult coordinator in our Boy Scout troop put before us what we wanted to do on this expedition. And one of the things that many of the, of the troops, that, uh, the, the groups that go to Philmont Scout Ranch, that's where we were, they like to do is climb this one particular mountain. It's called Mount Baldy. It's the, it's the highest peak on their um, property there. And so we were all gung-ho. We said, yeah, we want to climb Baldy. We want that feather in our hat, if you will, to say we climbed that 12,000-plus uh, uh, foot peak. However, we had to leave early in the morning, and there were more than a few of us, I think, that were wondering the wisdom, or if we really wanted to climb that mountain as much as we thought we did a few months ago when we planned and, and voiced our opinion about where we, were, where we were going on this expedition. Well, by God's grace, we climbed it, and we all made it safely up and safely down, and, and it was a blessing. But here, Peter... Here's Peter. He boldly has proclaimed in the first verses that we read there in verse 29 that even if everyone else deserves Christ, no, he was going to stand. Peter's name, of course, means the rock, and he was seeking to live up to his name. He says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then he even proclaims that he will be faithful to the Lord even if it costs him his life. So we know that Peter was was a disciple, and, and he, was, he was really an audacious disciple. 
We, we see examples throughout the Gospels of his audacity. He was always there in the middle of things. He was, he was always outspoken. He, he wasn't afraid to, to speak out, even if he didn't really understand everything about the situation. And we know that the Lord Jesus loved Peter. Peter was one of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. It was only Peter, James, and John, those three disciples that were allowed to be with Jesus when he raised the dead daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. It was only those three, those in the inner circle that ascended the Mount of Transfiguration and caught a glimpse of the glory of Christ. And, of course, it was there that Peter gushed out this rather awkward idea of, hey, Lord, I think right now would be a great time to build three tabernacles for you and these, other, these two Old Testament figures that have appeared on this day. And Jesus, of course, tells him, Peter, you really don't know what you're talking about. But it was Peter, remember, that when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, that Jesus, uh, Peter said, no, no, Lord, you don't need to wash my feet. But Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And that changed Peter's thoughts completely. He said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And when Peter was in, he was all in. It was Peter, of course, that made that decisive statement in Mark 8, that thou art the Christ, and boldly proclaiming on that day that Jesus was the Messiah. But remember, it was just a few verses later that, that Jesus had to rebuke Peter because Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen to him. And Peter said, no, that can't be. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because he was speaking as though he was not on the Lord's side. And in that moment, he was not. He rebuked Peter over that resistance to believe Christ and what his mission really was. It was Peter, of course, that took a swing with his sword just a few hours previous to what we have just read, likely going after the head of the servant of the high priest, and maybe the man ducked and instead he got an ear. All this we know. We've seen this throughout the text of Mark and through the other Gospels. We know Peter's story well. Often we remember Peter's words and actions because well, they appear frequently, but I think many of us identify with Peter in some ways. He, not, he didn't always know when to keep his mouth shut. I can identify with that sometimes. Peter was sometimes arrogant, often audacious, sometimes even disrespectful of the Lord when Jesus rebuked him or tells him the hard truth about his own heart. Peter was a disciple, he was an audacious follower, but he was also apprehensive. And you look at this and you think, well, who wouldn't be in this moment that this, where we've just read? Peter had made this rash statement that he would never desert the Lord, even if everyone else left him. Even if following Jesus cost him his life, Peter said, no, I'm here, I'm staying with you, Lord. Jesus, you can count on me. But now the going has gotten tough. Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. It appears that they are having their way with Jesus, and in their minds they were. Jesus is accused. Jesus is being judged. And Peter's nervous. 
Peter the brave is a bit apprehensive. And we can understand his apprehension. And it causes him to be a distant follower of Christ. Notice the language of, 50, of verse 54. It says, And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he's sitting with the others and warming himself by the fire. Scripture doesn't tell us what was in Peter's mind as he followed Jesus at a distance. Maybe it was guilt. Maybe it was, it was a sense that, hey, I've, I've made this commitment. I, I want to follow through with it. I, want, I don't want to fail. Um, maybe it was guilt. Maybe it was curiosity. He wondered what was going to happen here in this fateful moment. We could excuse Peter, and he couldn't really be right next to the Lord at that moment, but there, there seems to be more than a physical distance between him and the Lord. And we see that as the way this, these events are, are played out as he denies the Lord. You know, he could have openly acknowledged the Lord in that moment. Peter's distance was not just geographic, was not just physical. There was a distance in his heart. And I wonder tonight... How far are you from the Lord? Are you a distant follower of the Lord? It's so often that's where our troubles start. That's, that's a prelude to our problems. We allow other things to take priority over our relationship with Christ. And we allow distance to grow between our own soul and the Lord Jesus. And leanness can set in. Consider your own heart. Are you following but at a distance? Are you afraid to own his cause? Are you afraid to speak his name? Are you able to feel a little more comfortable with your pet sins by following Christ from a distance? I think that was put there for a reason. And that brings us to our second point, and that is the denial. And that really gets into the meat of this text, beginning with verse 66. <clears throat> the denial of Christ by Peter. We see him there. He's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And um, along comes this servant girl, perhaps maybe one of the most insignificant people that, that could have appeared in this account is the, 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 a female servant. Not that the females are inferior, but in that culture and in that day, they were probably kind of low on the, on the totem pole, if you will. And she asks, she says, hey, in a sense, hey, weren't you with Jesus, the Nazarene? And perhaps there was a little sarcasm in her voice pointing out that, that they were from the northern parts of Israel. Perhaps their speech betrayed them and, and they could tell that they weren't from around there. And maybe she was feeling a little bit emboldened by the fact that Christ was being examined by the Sanhedrin. And so she knew that Christ and his followers were not the most popular in the land that night, despite the popularity that they had enjoyed just a few days previous. Peter quickly denies any association with Jesus, saying basically, I don't know what you're talking about. Just flatly denying any association with Christ. And then he moves to another part of the courtyard, it says, probably to get away from the light of the fire and hoping to conceal himself in the darkness. And Mark tells us at that moment the rooster crowed. And it, 
it, is, it, it kind of increases the tension and increases the drama for the reader as we read this, but it just went right past Peter. Peter didn't hear that rooster at all, or if he did, it didn't register with him at all. And then the servant girl persists. Um, evidently, she followed Peter to where he was now hanging out in the courtyard, and she speaks to the bystanders. This, this man is one of them, she says. Now, other gospel writers says, say, say that it was another servant girl, um, and, and it's likely that there, were, there was talk amongst the servants that night to say, hey, do, do you see that guy over there? I think he's one of Jesus' disciples. And it was probably kind of a, a buzz within the courtyard as to who this man was, and maybe more than one. Mark tells us it was the same, but it was probably more than one um, that approached Peter to ask him if he was one of, of Christ's associates. And in the second question from the servant girl, she seems emboldened. This time she addresses the crowd. She, she, in fact, she, it's, it's like she's upping the ante a little bit to say, to in a public setting, this man was one of them. And these bystanders likely included those who had come to arrest Jesus. They'd probably seen Peter by the light of the torches. After all, it was Peter that drew his sword just a few hours before. And even still, Peter persisted in his denial. But the crowd also persisted in identifying Peter as a Galilean and as a disciple of Christ. And this probably occurred over the period of maybe an hour or two as the trial was continuing. Um, historians tell us that, that the, the rooster crowing came at, at particular times in the evening. I don't know if, if for, for sure about that, but it's likely that this occurred over the course of, of maybe an hour or two. And so, whatever the case might have been, Peter stayed, and the crowd saw him. Maybe they listened to his speech. They realized that he wasn't from there. They realized he wasn't a native to Jerusalem. And they insisted that Peter was one of Jesus' people. And what was his reaction? Well, he was so fed up by this time that he began to invoke a curse on himself. If he was speaking falsely, which of course he was, he didn't simply say, I promise you, I don't know this man. He, he said it with, with force and vehemence. He said, he, he literally called curses upon himself so as to convince his accusers that there is no way in the world that I am an associate of Jesus Christ. In other words, may God bring curses upon me if I am telling you a lie. And he was lying to these people. And he was calling the curses of God upon himself to prove his innocence. If that doesn't bring a chill to you, it should. To recognize that here was a follower of Christ that was invoking God's name and drawing curses upon himself to convince these men that he was not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to think that this is Peter who had walked with Jesus for three years he had seen him heal so many, including Peter's own mother-in-law. He had caught a glimpse of Christ's future glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had even been saved from drowning by the Lord Jesus. And here he invokes a curse upon himself, saying flatly, no way, no how. May God bring curses upon me if I know this man. 
And the irony of this is that while Peter was denying the simple charge of being with Christ, Jesus was silent before his accusers. And as Peter lied and called a curse upon himself, Jesus was allowing the curse of sin to be laid upon him. Peter mustered every defense he had to keep from being known as a follower of Christ. But Jesus sought no defense as He took on our sin and shame. Bearing shame and scoffing root. In my place, in your place, condemned He stood. Sealed our pardon with His blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Of course, the good news about this very sad account is that Peter didn't stay in this place very long. Mark tells us, and again, he uses that word immediately. He says, immediately the cock crew, he, the, the rooster crowed, and it crowed a second time, and Peter remembered. It seems as though Peter remembered that boastful claim that he would not leave, so he didn't completely leave. He was there following at a distance. But what he failed to remember was that what Jesus had told him, that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Imagine the thoughts that, that rushed through Peter's head in that moment, the guilt and the shame. And he had done exactly what the Lord had predicted, and he thought he was so strong in that moment. Yet he failed and there's a lesson for us here. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The way of Christ's kingdom is one of weakness and dependence. Jesus had taught his disciples to pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should pray for that every day, saints of God. Peter, we see his arrogance here, his self-reliance, and he falls flat on his face. Sometimes it's helpful as we read these gospel accounts to look at, at the things the other gospel writers uh, write about it. And Luke has this very short phrase that is so powerful. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So it wasn't just that the rooster crowed. Somehow, wherever Jesus was in this courtyard, he caught Peter's eye. And Peter caught his eye you wonder what that look looked like. You know, you, if it was us, you know, we might have a look of disdain or disappointment. But I don't think Jesus had that for him. It was a look of love. It was a look of, of not of condemnation or disappointment or disdain, but a look of compassion and love. And Scripture tells us that Peter broke down and wept. Another gospel account says that he wept bitterly. He realized what he had done, and he went out. He went away from, from those, and, and I'm sure he was terribly embarrassed and, and ashamed, and he needed time to, to reflect upon what he had done. But Jesus does not deny Peter. Jesus had prayed for Peter. Luke also tells us of, of words that Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, Satan has desired you that he might sift you as wheat, but... I have prayed for you. Remember, we read in this account that, that Jesus had said he would go before them into Galilee, and, 
And Mark in, in chapter 16 speaks about the angel at the tomb when the, when the disciples come and the, the angel is speaking to them. And he says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The word from the angel is a word of reassurance to Peter. Peter doesn't have to wonder if he's still one of Christ's own. He doesn't have to wonder if Christ has rejected him. The angel adds his name particularly to this. Tell the disciples and Peter that he is going, that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. And of course, if we jump over to the final chapter of the book of John, we see that moving account of Christ on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee where he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, of course, says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he asked him again, do you love me? He says, yes. And finally, he says, and, and it says that Peter is grieved because Jesus asks him the third time. It's no coincidence that Jesus asks him three times. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus, of course, says, feed my sheep. And again, he issues this call to him that he had issued years before where he says, follow me. We know that Peter was restored. We know that his repentance was genuine. We see it in his emotion. And, and let me just say this, that, that don't think that you have to have a particular emotion for your repentance to be real. But neither should we think that we should be devoid of emotion as individuals we should be broken over our sin. And if that brings a tear to our eye, let it flow. A broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not deny. We know, of course, Peter preached a mighty sermon on Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. But I love reading the epistles of Peter because here we see a much older and seasoned man. And as we close this evening, let me just read these words to you from 1 Peter 5 where Peter writes, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Here's this brash Peter, old and seasoned, telling the church, Clothe yourself with humility. For God opposes the proud, he writes, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, he says. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan knew of the devil's tactics. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Peter was restored, not just to his status as a disciple, but he was restored, of course, to great usefulness to the kingdom. So I ask you, what about you tonight? Have you failed the Lord? And I think if we're honest, every one of us would say, yes, we have. Are you caught in sin? Are you following at a distance? Have you really or practically denied the Lord? I invite you, come back. 
Look to Christ. He's looking to you with a look of compassion and love. Know that His look to you is not one of disappointment or disdain, but one of compassion and love. And don't be afraid to express your emotions as you realize your sin. Cry out to God. There's mercy and pardon. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We are great sinners, but we have an even greater Savior. Let's pray.